Oh, yeah? <laughs> what was that? Nothing. <laughs> Got him. Yeah. You know, I miss there's a, there, was, there seems like, I think, uh, pre, I guess, probably 2000, 2001, uh, it just seems like there's a stylistic and visual shift in uh, what is American independent cinema. Mm. Yeah. And I, this feels like the last breath of 90s of Sundance, American cinema. Yeah. 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 Mm, very Sundance. And Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And, John Waters, he... A lot of sunshine. Before we sort of make the Little Miss Sunshine pivot, mm-hmm. which is I kind of what, what I think Fox of the, Searchlight, yeah, and the aughts aesthetic of indie yeah. cinema. And then into A24 and yeah. Neon. Yeah. 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 Perna. Mm-hmm. Sort of the, the big indie cinema yeah. where mm-hmm. you've got to have two movie stars and it's not really much of an indie film anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. This This is kind of feels like it's its own thing. I mean, I guess Natasha Leone's a little bit of a movie star coming off of American, American Pie, Pie, but like well, the just, same year. Yeah, always oh, they come out the same yeah. year. Oh, you're right. Okay, so never mind. That that really doesn't just a, not a known quantity to and the yeah. up and coming break, and especially at this not point. to the same extent as a Tara yeah. Reid or a Chris Line. No. And this only mm-hmm. played in like a hundred theaters. I yeah, think, yeah, a very limited release. Yeah, very underseen. The, you know, initially, I would totally. say the biggest household name in this movie is Bull from Night Court. I well, I, I would say the biggest household name, even in the ninety nine two thousand, is RuPaul. Yeah, RuPaul. RuPaul. Yeah. RuPaul's yeah. already an icon when this movie comes yeah. out. Like, obviously, even more so these days. But like, even even in that era. Oh yeah. I mean, RuPaul's hey. got that very big cameo that opens up to Wong Fu. Yep. Which we've talked about on the show. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess um, Ka- Kathy Moriarty is kind of a big yeah. star. I mean, she, you know, Raging mm. Bull, Casper. She's been in big movies. Yeah, she's well known. Yeah. yeah. Michelle she, Williams hasn't done anything yet. No, no, Michelle Williams isn't really mm-hmm. anybody. I mean, she's still is she on Dawson's Creek at that Maybe. point. Yeah, ninety nine. She's yeah. still on that show. And then uh, what's her name? I just blanked. Graham. Oh, uh, Clay Clay Duvall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Clay Duvall's been around in ninety nine. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but she's always just kind of a support type. Yeah. in the background sort she's of character. Great in this. She, she's good. She's great in everything. But yeah, uh, yeah she's great. This movie. Guys, we're talking about this all serious and shit right now, but this movie—it's very serious matters. But that, you know what? Not not wrong. Not wrong. Keisha thought we were in uh, October already with this, and so like I started <laughs> she watching. Kept she kept pulled to kill her. Well, she didn't watch it with me because she kept coming in and seeing stuff. She kept. She's like afterwards. She's like, "Did they survive the camp?" I was like, "Yeah, why wouldn't they?" She's like, "Isn't it a horror movie?" It's like, I mean. Maybe for some people, there, there's, a, some there's a version of this that's a horror movie. I mean, there's. I think that movie exists now. Yeah, yeah it's called They Slash Them. They, they them. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, uh, Kevin Bacon's in They Them. Yeah, that's funny. No, it has we not been that well received. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> well, hello everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Donnercast. We gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss on a film studies course. This week's film is a but I'm a cheerleader, which you might actually discuss in a film studies course. I think it Possibly. could it could definitely show its face. Uh, yeah, for sure. But is it, it on your syllabus? No, not currently. No, I think it should be on everybody's syllabus. It should have been on our syllabus years ago. Our our good friend and former co-host Alex Bohannon uh, was a big fan of this film. And, yeah, and lobbied uh, for it. Yeah, lobbied for it for many years, and we just never got around to it. But I'm very excited to be talking about it today. It's gonna be good times. Yeah, uh, oh, really wait. wish I'd seen this earlier in life. I gotta say. 
We have to identify our disembodied voices. I am still Dustin. I am still Arthur. I am still Dalton. So now you know who we are. Um, now you need to know what's about to happen. We're about to do a show, and the show is going to be based on analysis, not on review. What's the difference, Dustin? Uh, well, there'll be a little bit of review that happens, but review does not have spoilers. Analysis does. Analysis requires spoilers, because you have to talk about what happened to analyze what it's doing. And therefore, we'll avoid that for the first part of the show, in case you have not tuned in to But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, is there a comma? But, no, I'm, a, but no, I'm a cheerleader. It's just, but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah. yeah. But I'm a cheerleader. I don't know if there's no, a No punctu- comma. No punctuation. No punctuation. No. But I'm a cheerleader. No, this is not the uh, honk for Jesus, save your soul, which is a full sentence. <laughs> Love that that movie title is a full sentence, by the way. Oh, man. I need to watch that, too. Yeah. But, uh, okay, well, good to know about proper pronunciation of titles, but this is what's going to happen. We're going to have some short review uh, after a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free. Then we'll do short review, which is going to be very, very spoiler-light sort of talking about generally the shape of the plot. Then we'll move into a little exercise called Expanding the Syllabus, which might involve a gentle spoiler or two of this film or films in its orbit. And then finally, we play music to let you know we've gotten down to business, that business being analysis, and that's when you know all spoiler bets are off. So with that, without any further ado, Arthur, do you have a synopsis with which to delight us? When her parents grow concerned about recent off-putting behavior, including a switch to a vegetarian diet, <gasps> Megan is accused of being a lesbian and is sent to True Directions Conversion Camp. Yes. Um, That's what happened. That is what happens. Nailed it. Thanks. Um, I'll be so here all week. It is, uh, yeah, conversion, or reversion, some version, therapy uh, is the subject matter that we're dealing with in this film. So, um, I've seen it before. Has anybody else no. Seen- no. No. So, uh, well, uh, any, mini miny Arthur, uh, you go first. That's not how that goes. No. Um, yeah, I, you know, I've been kind of curious to catch up with this one for a while. I hadn't really heard of it until podcast. I mean, until we were podcasting, and I think Alex may have been the first one to mention it. And so, I hadn't been aware of it uh, prior to that. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a good time. Um, it, it felt fun and energetic in a way uh i don't think a lot of movies are anymore um i'm just getting old i think lamenting movies um <laughs> but uh I, I i think it is very earnest and heartfelt and very endearing in that way uh, a great cast all, all across the board i love natasha leone um and everybody else that we've kind of already mentioned uh through banter here uh it's a blast uh, again bull showing up from night court was just Fun, like there's just fun little nods like that. RuPaul's great. We haven't um, even talked about uh, Rufio, uh, yeah, from Hook. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's solid. Zuko from Avatar. You uh, meant? Oh, is that what I meant? Yeah, that's what you meant. Dante Bosco meant. is who we're talking about, of course. Dante Bosco. Um, yeah, it, it's it's good stuff. I I like. Oh, Melanie Linsky, obviously very young yeah. here. <laughs> Um, she's is, so good yeah Julie Delpley shows up uh, yeah. for a second mm-hmm. uh, so it's kind of fun cast uh, I, I think for me the biggest thing I really enjoy about this is a lot of the technical stuff that's going off a lot of the cinematography a lot of the editing uh, production design type of stuff that I'm going to talk about more uh, when we get to syllabus um, so that that's really the things that stood out to me the most I think um, I think narratively it falls a little flat. I, I, comedy doesn't always work for me. It feels predictable as a rom-com, I think, uh, in kind of ways that aren't super interesting for what I think everything else that it's doing. Uh, but it feels bold. It feels fun. Like I said, it kind of feels like the last remnant of a certain time uh, in American cinema. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not negative. I, I, you know, it's, it, For me, it was four out of five stars. You know, It's definitely a thumbs-up material. I, I would easily watch it again very quickly. Um, 
because I did have a good time with it and everybody here was so uh, fun to spend time with uh, and fun to spend a, a nice 90 minutes with. And uh, I really do uh, enjoy a lot of the filmmaking. And I don't think uh, has Jamie Babbitt really done anything big. Ton since? of television. Ton of television. Ton Ton of television. Did the first three episodes of Amazon's League of Their Own. Gotcha. Sort of her, okay. her big current thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, any TV show you like that's sort of prestige from the last 10 years, Jamie Babbitt probably did an episode or two. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. she's been working. That's cool. Um, she's not showrunning League. Is she showrunning? Leave their own, or no, she just no. worked on a few episodes. No, she was just sort of setting the visual uh, language Set of the up. show, I guess, with those first three episodes. Cool. But I, I think she's got an EP credit too. Okay, I could be wrong, but I know she's not show running because gotcha. Abby, Abby Jacobson's one of the showrunners. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I, I man, I, I really kind of walked away from this really kind of thinking a lot more. I think about that kind of filmmaking of it. I think it's really well made, well shot, uh, very economic for what it is. Cause you can tell it is small budget, but it works very well within those confines. And again, I mentioned them earlier, but it feels very John waters, I think by mm-hmm. design, but I think pulls it off in a nice way. Um, so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. That's, uh, that's my take on, but I'm a cheerleader. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you for that, Arthur. What is your take on, but I'm a cheerleader. We don't use profanity or double negatives here, Dustin. Uh, so yeah, so I'm I'm fully on board with this movie. So uh, I love it to pieces. I think this is a damn masterpiece. Uh, I really do. I think Jamie Babbitt uh, made a unique and singular film here. I think it is essential queer cinema. I wish I had seen it when I was 12 years old. Uh, you know, growing up in Oklahoma City suburbs is uh, that's that's straight country. <laughs> uh, and you you can go your whole life without realizing very specific things about yourself. <laughs> You can you can be a married man before you realize your sexual identity is a little bit more fluid than you'd ever really considered uh, growing up there. And I think that that's what this movie is good for. Uh, not necessarily making uh, youths realize that they're queer, but at the very least, it, it's good at acknowledging a very real problem with sort of the stifled uh, way we raise children in America and sort of the heteronormative culture we force them into is you can be the last person to realize you're gay. Uh, and uh, that's not an uncommon experience for people. So I, I think this this movie alone for, for speaking to that very real reality is just like an essential piece of movie making. But I think it's only become more prescient and more important in you know the 20 years since its initial release because uh, despite the legalization of, uh, you know, or the, uh, the foundation of marriage equality across this country, uh, shit hasn't gotten better. Uh, in fact, I'd say it's getting a lot worse. Uh, a lot of eliminationist rhetoric out there right now. It's scary as hell. And uh, I, I think this is a, a great movie, not just for like queer communities, but I think it's a a good film as far as like reaching across from queer communities to straight folks to be like, hey, come on, let's have some fun. I like this movie takes something that is deeply serious and deeply fucked up and somehow makes it a pretty lighthearted romp. And that's impressive to me uh I, this this movie is like tonally playing with fire and i, I think it never missteps I, I think every joke pretty much lands for me there's a literal doghouse it's <laughs> 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 only the doghouse right. i was like okay whatever and there's a literal doghouse people get put in yeah kathy moriarty is just like so great as the this evil school marm i just think she's she's fantastic we've as arthur said we've already kind of highlighted the cast a lot but they do 
make this film work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, not just the cast. I mean, this really fabulous art direction, both in costume and production design, as, as Arthur mentioned. Uh, just this film looks beautiful. Everything should be this colorful. I mean, it just pops. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, we know we called in this marathon, uh, we called Smokey and the Bandit a live action cartoon. And I think this is definitely kind of playing in that same territory yes. as far as, you know, really having an eye for visuals, uh, but also kind of having a tone that is, is, is serious and, and has something to say, but is still also, heightened in, in a very specific way so again I, I think just all of the the tasks and tones that this film tries on and it maneuvers around i just I, I never find it misstepping i think it's it's hitting every moment and I, i'm with arthur i can't wait to rewatch it i just i think i'm i i've I found a new favorite movie i i think that this is really incredible stuff very good very good um i think the movie's a lot of fun too i i think what i like about the movie is how it's Okay, I like Boys Don't Cry, but I like how it's not Boys Don't Cry. Not yeah. everything needs to be Boys Don't sad. Cry. Yeah. Not everything yeah. needs to be a tragedy. And I've I that's one of the like the love letters I I've heard in my research for this film. Like that's a big thing people like about it is it's it's a queer film that doesn't have a damn, you know, murder in it. Right. Yeah, or just other just super super heightened emotional mm-hmm. sort of um not not really in the 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 vein of the after school special, but of the uh, the vein of melodrama tra- in general, tra- tragic history, tragic history, yeah, yeah just you know, or or even if it ends on a sort of a victorious note, it's after uh, sort of rising from the ashes, mm-hmm. but some real ashes mm-hmm. that are being dealt with there, and so I do appreciate its uh, its general. Um, well, I, mean, I, I think the way Adam West will define camp later, it's light nightness instead of dark nightness, mm-hmm. um, is, is what I really kind of enjoy uh, about the movie. I think the performances are great. I do think the color palettes are really, really interesting. Um, I like how the movie is, I think in a sense, sort of even-handed. No one is beyond the scope of being made fun of uh, no. in this movie. It, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's definitely making fun of those um, who... Uh, would be of a more conservative bent, but it's certainly making fun of a lot of queer stereotypes as well. Yeah, Larry and Lloyd being yeah. like, there's no wrong way to be gay, and then they hand her the coffee cup that says queer on it, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's it's having fun with everybody. Well, them and their yeah. little argument. I mean, these two they're old so, queens. God, I mean, they're so good. I yeah. love them. <laughs> they're so cute. I mean, they, they, again, this these are all stereotypes. None, yeah. none of these uh, characters are fully fleshed out, realizable sort of human characters. They're all characters caricatures sure in a, in a sense and I, and I think that's kind of fun uh to to take it uh again that light-hearted approach to some pretty serious subject matter well it shows like a an internal tonal consistency yeah, right uh, absolutely and then the just the pastelness of it all uh just uh, man i just i really enjoy that and I, I do again it's very much a sunshine film and uh there's too few of those being made in independent cinema now sunshine in deep focus uh, we don't have very much of that at all. We has it's all uh, magic hour in soft focus, and uh, just there are other palettes of the tones of the camera and uh, how you can use it. And I enjoy that a lot about this. But also, I really like the needle drops. I think the uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to. Yeah, yeah. this this sort of uh, indie, um, you know, um, 
grr, garage pop, garage yeah, girl yeah. with lots of R's music. I dig it, and so that That's all works good. for me too. So yeah, it's it's a very very delightful, um, uh, easy to swallow uh, ninety minutes of cinema. So what more do you want from me? There, nothing. I say. Therefore, those are our views, dear listener. They are generally pro. We're gonna now move on to our little exercise we like to call expanding the syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what that's all about? I sure can, Dustin. So this is the part of the show where we deliver on the promise of our little experiment here. We are going to talk about the films you would not discuss in a film studies course, but we're we're gonna we're gonna do it as if you were talking about them. Though totes this movie would be that. Yeah, I, this film definitely belongs in a film studies course. Uh, I've got a pretty slam dunk one it belongs in, but I, I think. I think all three of us will probably make the case that it, uh, it should be in, in a, any kind of class. Sure. Uh, not necessarily just a film class. You could you could talk about this in all sorts of uh, academic uh, purviews, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is, by and large, what we do in this section of the show, Dustin. All right. Well, do you have a syllabus prepared for us, my friend? I do. And we're going to get through it as quickly as possible because I, I, th- I think I might have done an intro to queer cinema syllabus for the show before. Perhaps. I feel like I may have. I feel like... W- but sometime so, in the last 10 years, it's probably come up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've yeah. talked about queer cinema before for Clearly, sure. Yeah. And we've been doing this format of the show for close to five years now. Right? Yeah. 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 This is sort of our it's the been, expanding the syllabus yeah. section of the show. So there's a good chance I've touched on this before, but uh, I'm going to highlight some quick titles. Uh, really where I started from was, uh, I, I wanted to build a cl- uh, class on, uh, relig- religiosity in teens with this film and the film saved. Yep. Mm, uh, yeah. but I, I couldn't quite, there just wasn't enough there. There, there's not enough movies to pair with saved in this. A walk to remember. I mean, uh, yeah, 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 but there's, there's some not quite, s- yeah. specific stuff going on. There's like mm. a satire element in both yeah. of these films. that's like really key. Yep. So I've, I've just gone ahead and, and taken both of those films and brought them into my little intro to queer cinema class but we'd, we'd have to look at things of course like the rocky horror picture show uh kenneth anger's scorpio rising which i'm if you've listened to this show for a long time you've heard dustin bring up before it's good uh, it's wild watch uh, it please it's a trip uh it's uh gay nazi bikers the 60s were about Strange. making making people crinkle their eyebrows uh, but it's essential, you know, like as far as like early, early, early uh, American queer cinema, very important to get into. Uh, we look at things like D. Reese's Pariah. Uh, we look at, of course, the the seminal uh, The Watermelon Woman, uh, which mm. is kind of widely considered the first uh, work of queer black cinema or by, by a woman anyway. Uh, speaking of queer black cinema, we definitely look at Moonlight and Tangerine. Obviously, Tangerine uh, is uh, helmed by a straight white dude, uh, but I think Tangerine's one of those films that uh, really makes the case for actors as collaborators. Mm-hmm. Uh, re- really, uh, not every film I-, I think can you say that about. Do-, do the do the actors kind of become filmmakers? Uh, I think in, in any great film. Hopefully that's what the set is is providing is a space for actors to become part of the filmmaking process. They're not just you know performing monkeys. Mm-hmm. And I think in Tangerine the the oh my god I can't think of his name. What's his, well not important. Uh, the guy that directs Tangerine, Sean Baker. Sean Baker. I think Sean Baker uh, really sets his leads up to to kind of steer his film in that in that one. And I I think it's pretty essential. We've got to talk about John Waters, of course. Uh, I don't know that. Many universities are going to let you get away with showing Pink Flamingos, uh, so you might not be able to watch Pink Flamingos, but you'll have to talk about it. It's just a little bit of 
anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of John Waters that it's hard to show people. Uh, so you might have to, you know, do something uh, like hairspray and then talk about the other ones. But you have to talk about John Waters. Mm-hmm. And you also have to talk about Greg Araki, as if you're going to get into 90s queer cinema, stuff like the Doom Generation. Uh, he's got a pretty big movement of films. And I think I definitely want to focus on the forthcoming Bros that comes out this year, the mm-hmm. Billy Eichner uh, film uh, from uh, the uh, guy that did uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, a big studio-backed uh, queer rom-com. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, and I think is kind of a fun place to get to as far as you know, looking at the history of queer cinema. I think that's a fun place to end. Uh, we'll probably also take a look at uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire just because you know, we all love it here and it's a, we can all agree it's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And you know, fun to get some international play in there. Uh, just to kind of look at what other national cinemas are doing. Uh, I also, you know, want to look at something like uh, Happiest Season, which is uh, directed by Clea Duvall, who's in this film. Again, just kind of light, mm-hmm. breezy rom-com. Not everything needs to be tragedy. Uh, although we, we might look at some of those, or at least talk about Boys Don't Cry. I mean, it is a pretty essential film. Um, you know, there, there's some other films like that that we talk about. But, you know, we'd have fun. We'd watch The Craft, you know? Yeah. We'd watch Jennifer's Body. There's there's all kinds of fun to be had. We'd watch Bound. Come on, we'd watch Bound. Ugh, what a movie. It's my favorite <laughs> Pixar short. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a little bit what a class would look like. Again, it's there's films I didn't mention that I could have mentioned. Uh, it's, it's a pretty deep well, honestly. Uh, so you, you wouldn't be able to watch everything. But I, I think there's a lot to talk about when you start talking about queer cinema. For sure, for sure. All right, well, thank you very much for that. Arthur, what say you in bringing a syllabus to... But I'm a cheerleader. Yeah, like I mentioned, I was thinking a lot about cinematography and production design editing. So I would probably do uh, some sort of beginner's guide to mise-en-scene. And I don't know if that'd be in a film studies class. Uh, It would be kind of fun to do just a class that was focused on technical departments. You know, spend a week on production, a week on makeup, costuming. Lighting. Yeah, I think that'd be kind of a cool thing, too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so where it falls, I think this could be used for a lot of that. Uh, specifically, I really think a lot about the probably first 30 minutes or so of this movie. Uh, and specifically though, where, um, not even 30 minutes, probably 20 cause it's so tight. Uh, but wherein, uh, the family arrives at the house mm-hmm. uh, and Megan shows up and they are sending her to, uh, the camp, but the way in which that whole thing is filmed and shot, uh, to accentuate the kind of, uh, pressure of what's going on the way everybody is kind of blown up and distorted in a way to show that sort of claustrophobic effect of her being encircled yeah that sort of intervention Mm -hmm. scene yeah Yeah. they definitely make you feel that claustrophobia for sure and the way in which that is all edited together i think uh, it just is a very easy way to point at a a movie and a sequence to really highlight all these elements to to really show how production design feeds into story and also theme and how editing does that and how cinematography does that uh, in such a way. And then, uh, you know, production design costuming as well to move from the drab Browns of suburbia uh, where heteronormativity exists into the um, colorful campiness of true directions where, uh, you know, it is kind of that uh, hypocritical moment of, you know, this is what, should be drab and brown, but to make that the accentuated pinks and blues in camp is is the smart move and really clever production. I just design. want to interrupt with how gay is that camp? 
It's the gayest straight camp I've it's ever seen. Gay, yeah. uh, I mean, how, yeah. how gay is so that good. camp? I mean, that's the, the great part about that joke. It, I mean, that works so well, I think, and that the nuance there. Yeah, absolutely. Not necessarily nuance, but the way that all comes together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so from there, I would probably start with some German expressionism. We'd probably talk about mm-hmm. Cabin and Dr. Caligari. I think, again, this is an easy place yeah. to point to mm-hmm. how production design, how sets, especially matte paintings and things like that, can uh, inform story, inform theme, uh, and add layers to the film. Uh, from there, we'd probably talk a little bit about Hitchcock. We'd probably look at Rear Window. I think this does a great job, and it's kind of a noted example of uh, the way in which production design uh, gives us story background because in the opening moments of that, as the camera pans through uh, Jeffrey's apartment, um, we get to see, uh, one, that he's a photographer, two, he's been in an accident, and three, he is homebound. Uh, we get a lot of information about this character immediately. Uh, not only is a photographer, he's award-winning photography, a journalist photographer. Um, and so the way in which that design uh, helps us find out information and plot information uh, is just really smart. And along a similar vein, we probably look at Clerks from Kevin Smith. Uh, where in the opening shot here, we get Dante falling out of his closet asleep, uh, just surrounded by a mess of clothes and trash that really uh, emphasizes that this is a person who does not have their life together to draw mm-hmm. out that way in which production design can again inform character or bring revelation about character. Uh, and kind of sticking on the campiness trail, uh, we would talk about Dutch angles uh, and we would talk about Batman 66 and the way in which cinematography and editing and staging and blocking uh, informs narrative that uh, the Dutch angle is kind of most notably, I think, associated in America with Batman uh, mm-hmm. 64. Uh, and so we'd look at that and see how that all comes into effect and just be kind of a beginner's course to some of these terms and tools that, that are in, in movies. Very cool, very cool. Well, uh, we've mentioned the phrase a few times, um, camp. I think I would use this film in a, uh, probably a film style uh, class. And so, which is kind of related to what you're saying about mise-en-scene and general production. But just what we mean by when we say something is German Expressionist. What do we mean by something like film noir? What do we mean by uh, a modernist style? What do we mean by classical Hollywood style? And I think camp is another one of these sort of cinematic styles uh, that in some senses was... um, like film noir defined after the fact mm-hmm. uh, that was already sort of seen as an evidentiary kind of thing and then what do we do with it so Susan Sontag's notes on camp would be obviously a seminal text there and then uh, Stephen Cohan has got a great little book called Incongruous Entertainment about camp and the MGM musical mm-hmm. and so uh, there's a couple there's an introductory uh, a- a essay in there in which he sort of describes the the shape of the field the discussion of camp and then particularly his um um, chapter on Singing in the Rain I think would be pr- pretty useful for that as well and so Singing in the Rain being an example of an MGM musical that is full of this kind of camp same kind of color palettes mm-hmm. and that kind of use and then uh, I mean if you're going to talk about camp you got to talk about Judy Garland and so uh, Meet Me in St. Louis and um, the uh, A Star is Born uh, mm-hmm. original uh, film that she was in uh, with Warner Brothers which is for like not doing doing MGM, but MGM to the ninth degree. Mm-hmm. And the performativity that is all things camp, I think, uh, really informs that. And then moving on into perhaps um, 
in terms of sexual politics, something a bit more neutral or without content kind of camp, and looking at that Batman 66 series and what's going on mm. with its particular kind of lightheartedness and what does that camp really kind of uh, entail. Uh, and then for my waters, I really think uh, Female Trouble would be the film that I'd want to use uh, as an example. Uh, I think stylistically, color-wise, it pairs well with But I'm a Cheerleader, and so uh, that's where I'd end up going with a Waters film that I might could get away with showing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, just dealing with this idea of what camp is, what it does, what it, how in which uh, the ways in which uh, sexuality was coded, and uh, and sort of again read backward into things where it was not present, and it became present because of the reading. Yeah, and so those kinds of discussions and just the evolution of what camp is, because I do think uh, we're but a mature leader kind of presents itself as kind of a high point in camp. Uh, and uh, that uh, the way in which we code queer now in cinema seems to not play in the same pools any longer. That uh, campiness itself is not generally the way that it's um, articulated any longer. And yeah, camp is sort of getting larger. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've heard uh, the Batman described as heterosexual camp, and I, which makes me laugh every time I think about it. <laughs> it's funny. I'm it, not sure. It's that, a funny phrase. I, I think I it don't works. know if I buy it. Uh, I buy it in moments like uh, his his little squirrel suit uh, being so dramatic, and then like they immediately take the wind out of that moment's drama uh, by like yeah. having him beef it, right. stuff like that. Uh, the um, we ought to use guns and him being like, yeah, that's that's, that's your, your thing. That's your thing. Yeah. yeah I, anyway, I, I thought the case. Uh, I heard the case made pretty well a while back when the people were still talking about that movie a lot. Okay, well, but to, I, I, I only that. I only invoke it to say that camp can mean a lot of things, and and a lot of things can find themselves mm-hmm. brought under the camp umbrella through through choices that might not have even necessarily been like on the filmmakers' minds. But sometimes uh, you make a thing that's campy on accident. Right, absolutely. But I'm just thinking about sort of other sort of big kind of queer cinema moments or sure. queer media moments right now. I don't, I don't think of the Orange is the New Black as camp. Yeah, Bros yeah. does not, I obviously have not seen it yet because as we're recording, it's not out. But uh, it seems to be a kind of straightforward comedy, not yeah, less than something campy comedy. And so Fire whatever. Island, on the other hand, seems a little more heightened. Yeah, to a yeah. degree. I need to catch up with that. Well, yeah. what, what show did you say? Fire Island. Island. You know about this? Mm, it's a Hulu it's movie. The, yeah. Oh, I, I think I did see yeah. it. It's the other queer That does seem like it's, it is playing a little yeah. bit more into camp. That's playing second fiddle to bros. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's non-existent, but it does not seem to be the uh, primary enunciation any longer. But anyway, uh, that would be the conversation that we would have. Uh, with this film, if I were to put it in some form of a class. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. But I believe now is a time that we get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business time. What 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 is this business you're talking about? What are we doing? What are we doing? We are doing analysis, my friends, which means we are going to break down the movie, uh, look at the little parts on the inside, and figure out how it works and what it works and what conversations it's a part of. We've often lamented that on this show that it's hard to do analysis on comedy. Right. I don't think that that's necessarily the case this week. I think I, we've got something with a little bit more meat on the bones. And- I, I think we do. I mean, we there is a sense in which it becomes... You've you got to be careful, I think, with analysis to make it just a social problem film. 
Right. Because it's not that. Because, yeah, I, I think and about like, the Lost to... Weekend, which is sort of like just an anti-alcoholism kind sure. of thing, you know? And Yeah. So this is like one of those things like where, you know, the pray the gay away camps don't work, yada, yada, yeah. yada. What do you do? Well, I think your point of, you know, not making this a tragic whatever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think helps avoid it becoming a social issues movie. It, mm-hmm. It's partially just, it's a comedy that just centers around these characters in a way that... I mean, obviously, it does have that commentary, right? But totally. it doesn't have it in the way that I think something like a quote-unquote social issue movie does. I mean, I guess since we are in spoiler areas, I'll just go ahead and say this. It is, in the broadest sense, a standard romantic comedy. Uh, you have a couple that, you know, they yeah. can't quite seem to, because of various social and family pressures, are not able to get together, that sort of are able to negotiate that over a period of time, and at the end, run off together in the sunset. I mean, in that sense, it is just pure standard romantic comedy fair. Yeah. The Romeo and Juliet stuff, right? Mentioned earlier, yeah. It's, I mean, Without the suicides. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call Romeo and Juliet a rom-com, but... Well, it, the first three the, acts are. Well, maybe. I don't know. He does kill her cousin. Uh, yeah, he needed killing, though. Okay. Uh, well, he's just going to keep tripling down on Romeo and Juliet as rom-com. I love it. He's not backing off of this one. The, I, I, you either I, die a hero or live long I, I, I will stand that Romeo villain. and Juliet's first three acts are definitely a, a comedy that Shakespeare decided to turn into a tragedy. All right. Well, well it's 2022 and nobody cares about Shakespeare anymore, so we'll oh just move on. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Did Dustin get in trouble for talking about Shakespeare at school? <laughs> <laughs> Who's been teaching you? Where did you learn about these? <laughs> Where did you learn? Uh, about we books? wish our students read books. But I think coming back to camp um, and uh, an idea that's sort of embedded in the whole idea of camping and the uh, how one passes in culture, but is also able to signal uh, one's queerness is the the diagnosis section of the first part of the film in which they're trying to figure out, you know, or they, they, they have these Melissa suspicions. Et- her Melissa Etheridge poster and her very vaginal pillow. <laughs> so good. Being... so fucking funny. The, <laughs> the shot of, of Natasha Leone's head hitting that pillow and her smiling next to that, <laughs> that flower or flame. Is it a flame? I don't. I think it's a flower. I think it's a flower. Yeah. That feels a little more so intentional. Very Georgia O'Keefe. So yeah. funny. Oh my god, what a what a great moment. And and weird that Natasha Leone sort of sits in this uh is situated in this tradition of straight people who become queer icons. Uh you yeah. know, we mentioned Judy Garland already. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just I don't know, it's just sort of interesting. Yeah. Uh, it speaks to sort of the larger issues with queer representation and media. Uh, right. for sure. But uh, I don't know, I just think it's interesting. But I I just was wanted to just sort of just name drop the idea that there were these codes and they were sort of trying to identify, mm-hmm. perhaps misidentifying. And again, there there is a way in which at the first part of the film, you're not quite sure whether or not they're right or not. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, despite, I mean, I, I think the film definitely highlights that with uh, the montage sequence of the cheerleaders. Yeah. Her making out with yeah. uh, her boyfriend. Yeah. 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 But, but I mean, you know, I mean. I think you, you, the you film can, tips you, you off. You can have early. a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school and not be into it. You know, I mean that's that's a thing that can happen. You know, I feel like the film's saying pretty loudly I, I, what's yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. but I, I I get what you're saying. You know, it, it it leaves some room for ambiguity for a little bit. For a little bit, yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I mean, clearly she turns out to be. Yeah, uh, and you know her great little coming out moment or whatever is <laughs> very very funny. But uh, yeah, just uh, again, Melissa Etheridge. Uh, 
what is like tofu tofu yeah trying to feed us tofu vegetarianism yeah. in general uh when they start talking about roots i was born in france mm-hmm. uh, my mother worked my mother got married in pants in pants yeah the the roots stuff the root is... stuff is works really well i think it's a really fun bit in there it's one of those moments that i feel like it like brings the comedy to the forefront but does still like it's one of those moments yeah. where it's like really kind of hammering in on like yeah, the deep unethical like pain that is happening in this yeah. place. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the, the the moments where I think the film like is having its cake and eating it too in a really effective way. Yeah, as far as you know, still being a comedy and, and but trying to bring like highlight like the absurdity of this place. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's it, the absurdity of this ideology that these people are trying to to feed these children. Right on. Um, I want to talk about the formalism aspect a little bit. You were talking about that scene in which uh, they uh, the intervention takes place, yeah. mm-hmm. and and the color palette. How do you guys see the use of either set design or the way the camera moves? Um, how do you see that as an effective way of communicating the story in this particular kind of way? I think uh, for me, like one of the the set pieces that I'm, I'm drawn to is the rediscovering your gender identity montage, mm-hmm. which is I, I, moments of high camp going on there. Yeah. But again, like I, I think through editing, through through music, uh, we we get all these very very funny uh, shots of both of the the boys group and the girls groups doing these sort of gender-coded activities. One, for of course, for the boys is war, uh, yeah. which is mm-hmm. so funny. Yeah, uh, But all, all of it is chopping like... Chopping wood. Chopping wood. But, uh, you know, they're doing lawn chores with uh, the with Mary, the camp counselor, or the head of the camp's uh, very hot, very gay son, who's yeah. uh, the, the best uh, lawn man ever. <laughs> His name is Rock, which His is... His name is Rock. Which is a Rock Hudson yeah, sort clearly. of yeah, yeah. Yeah. joke there, which is kind of fun. But anyway, you, just, you have this montage of, of these kids, like, being forced to conform to their gender expectations, and they are still finding ways to like break free and be true to themselves like as this is going on like it's it's but it's still like a moment of high comedy in the film yeah. uh again i just think it, it's like really effective filmmaking as far mm-hmm. as using montage to like advance the story and still like stay within the the groove of the film as far as like tone and and humor uh, again really effective filmmaking well and i was thinking a lot about the color palette uh with the uh the campground itself and uh the uh, the the suits the i remember the blue tuxes and uh the very very pink, pink poodle skirt dress type pink yeah, yeah, yeah. you're talking about their uh graduation outfits yeah, yeah. yeah they like those, the, the, the rain jacket material right yeah. and then the bedroom design there's a certain like heightened artificiality yeah that is sort of sure. uh being used there yeah. in in costuming design and I think that's a useful uh, way to sort of, again, help us to see that. And again, we got sort of standard little metaphor things that go on there. You know, anything longer than it's wide is phallic. And clearly that is the case at times in this movie. Um, the cheerleading team are going to go off on their trip eating donuts. I mean, there's, yeah, you know, there's the jokes are there, right, uh, for that kind of stuff. And that's, I guess, it's screenwriting as much as it is um, visuality there. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to sort of acknowledge some of those sort of uh, formal choices yeah. that are used to help uh, achieve its ends. And there's even the artifice that Mary lives within of, you know, there's something very artificial about this house, the way it looks from a set design point, but even the flowers, her fake flowers that she waters and, and mm-hmm. this kind of artificial world that she lives in, I think is a really interesting aspect and reemphasizes, I think, the way in which she's missing the obvious, both in her son and the way that this isn't effective for the the quote-unquote patience of true direction Mm -hmm. so i think that's all really well 
utilized here. And I think in terms of uh, a more serious bit of metaphoric content, and Ash, or not Ashley, um, Megan, Graham, <sighs> Jamie Babbitt. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't think of our director's name at all. Ashley Babbitt was the January sixth lady. Golly, that's a bad. Uh, uh, you know, brains are weird. Brains are and weird. Well, neurons fire in weird orders. It sometimes. is the same last name. Yeah, so exactly. there is that. Um, anyhow, um, Jamie Babbitt, uh, her her choice to uh, have this sort of super hygienic, sterile kind of environment. She's on record saying that part of the intention was there was to allude to sort of the uh, panic around the HIV AIDS crisis. Oh, interesting. Right. And uh, so the hyper cleanliness sure. is, is is a way in which you can sort of make allusion to that, but it keeps that tone light. You know, mm-hmm. with, with this idea of just we're, we're vacuuming all the time and we have fake flowers that we water. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, a, a way in which he's able to, as you said earlier, have its cake and eat its too. Eat it too. I think that really works yeah. uh, for the film. Um, there is another motivation that Babbitt's on record as uh, addressing as well is that Watermelon Woman is very much a, a butch lesbian film and this is very much a femme lesbian film. Oh, because that was something that was kind of specifically in her mind. Yeah. Um, to, to, that they're, they're, yeah. They'd made the butch lesbian films before and, you know, there are a lot of examples of yeah. that, you know. I mean, even Boys Don't Cry sure. kind of does the same kind of thing as well uh, with Hilary Swank there. Well, that's a trans issues film too. Well, true, true. But, but she, I just think it's interesting that Jamie Babbitt was like thinking about sort of the, the lineage of queer cinema yeah. going into this. That's where'd you? Uh, do you happen to remember where you, you found those? I was just that's interesting. Ah, uh, where did I see that? I don't. It's cited in the Wikipedia. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is it in the Wikipedia? I, so I'm as sure well? there's a link there, but because it references Watermelon Woman, but it also references another movie. I yeah, I don't know what that would do be. Watermelon Woman, I've seen, uh, which is a great little movie. Um, yeah, I know it's, it's hard to find. I've been wanting to see it for very, years. Very, very hard to find. Is it, is it I, on yeah. Canopy or? It might be on Canopy. I'd have to look, but. <sighs> I would be surprised that I it's been on there all this time and I didn't realize it. But one of the sort of motivating details of the Watermelon Woman uh, in terms of uh, racial studies mm-hmm. is uh, seeking out this uh, this character who's sort of a Butterfly McQueen, um, Gone with the Wind kind of character um, in this sort of unknown, unfound film, undiscoverable film. And um, the main character works at a video store. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of trying to find this representation particular kind of representation in cinema and so uh there's a lot of fun to be had with that yeah i know that's sort of kind of the metatextual stuff going yeah. on in that film which what is was cool. that other film uh the other film she references is go fish and it looks like that came from an interview for nitrate online called quote so many battles to fight interview with jamie babbitt cool. from, yeah. i don't know when it's retrieved in april but i don't know when the interview was but yeah yeah, I feel like I'd read that piece cool. at some point. I'm kind of interested in like the genesis of this, which uh, uh, Jamie Babbitt's got the story credit, but actually hands off screenplay duties to uh, Brian Peterson mm-hmm. yeah. for this, which I think is interesting. You don't see that too often, where the director like has the story credit but doesn't uh, have a hand in the screenplay necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just kind of think that's interesting. Seems like maybe just say, I don't know, you know, I yeah. know my strengths, I don't know my strengths. Yeah. Let me get somebody in here who can actually script this out maybe in a way and then make the edits, revisions as needed from there. But yeah. yeah. I think it's kind of an interesting way to, to move forward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it very much was motivated of by learning about conversion camps. Uh, mm-hmm. And sort of that was, I know, a big jumping off point for her was just learning about these places. And right, because she like, initially... really? Yeah, as I'm, as I'm looking over at this Wikipedia here, it looks like she was initially going to make a joke film with just about 12-step programs in general or, oh, or, yeah. or yeah. group therapy kind of stuff. And then, her, Yeah, her mother ran a uh, halfway house for... Uh, young people with drug and alcohol problems. Oh, okay. And so that kind of inspired the idea of making a, rehabilita- a rehabilitation movie. And then she came with the idea of the uh, the Pray the Gay Away uh, camps yeah. and said, oh, well, let's just 
there you go. bring those two together and have a lot of fun with that. So that appears to be the idea. I'll quit reading stuff while I try to talk. It's not a good idea. Oh, yeah. Disastrous. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Did you have a brain fart? <laughs> I did. It's okay. I'll, I'll take over here. Uh, you guys know about the Vito Russo test? The Vito Russo test. Yeah, you know about this? Uh, I do of, not. Sort of uh, the Bechdel test for queer cinema. Uh, okay. So Vito Russo, mm. I learned about this on on the Bechdel cast, uh, the mm. Jamie Loftus and um, oh my God, uh, Caitlin Durante. I almost always forget her co-host's uh, name. Anyway, that podcast. Uh, they, they talked about it on their episode, uh, but I'm a cheerleader. But Vito Russo, he's a celebrated film historian and one of the co-founders of GLAAD. Uh, but his his test is thus. One, character that is identifiably queer. Two, they're not solely defined by orientation or gender identity. And three, they must be tied to the plot in a way that the removal would impact the story. And obviously this film passes with flying colors. Uh, Does it? I, I think so. I mean, you can't, you can't take out the characters and... Yeah, there's no character oh, removals. There's no character removal, but uh, I mean, uh, is the most fundamental thing about these characters their queerness, though? No, not at all. I mean, I think it's because I don't of, think anybody's very well shaped. I don't. I, I don't think, know. Uh, no, Clea Duvall. Graham's got the poor little rich girl thing, you oh. know, which is kind of a stock, you know, character. But I mean, that's still like a real that thing sounds that like, people that have sounds to like deal a Ninja with. Turtle bit. I I think I, you're I, selling the film short. Uh, well, a bit. I mean, I, I mean, I, I like the movie a lot. Don't get me wrong. No, but yeah. that, that does feel a little bit like this is just your 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 little. Uh, you know, you're one of the army commandos, and this is the the kind of commando you are. Yeah, little, the, the World War II movie. This guy's from Brooklyn. This guy's Italian. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. archetypes. Yeah, the, yeah. the archetype thing. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's probably a fair critique that everybody is a little archetypy, but I, I still think that you know, obviously, orientation becomes a huge part of this film because mm -hmm. it's about conversion camps. Right. But I, I think you know, people are you know, there's Graham is sort of kind of flighty and has a hard time like letting herself w fall in love with megan right she's she's been there before and doesn't want to let it break bad again mm -hmm. megan's still kind of finding herself and is intimidated when julie delpy wants to dance with her at the club you know i, right. I think i think there are moments where we get insights into people uh, beyond you know like who they're into for sure I, I, again i think with uh with rufio sorry dante, <laughs> sorry dante bosco uh, his character dolph you know when they they are reunited at Lloyd and Larry's house. He talks about how uh, he was like, no, no, like I'm, I'm not mad at you. Like I had to get out of there. Like, mm. so you know, those little moments where you kind of get to know people a little bit better, I think, but not, you know, not every character has those Melanie Linsky's character kind of doesn't have a whole lot to do except for be the funny girl from New Zealand. And mm -hmm. boy, is she funny in this movie, right? She is very funny. Breakfast is at 11 or lunch is at 11. <laughs> so good. The whole sequence of her walking them or giving a Megan the tour, the tour. is just yeah. so good. Uh, but anyway, I, I get what you're saying, but I still think this film like passes Vito's criteria. I, I do think that we get enough of our central leads. Yeah, that uh, we, I'd, we I'd, I'd, I think I'd have people. to see more of the test apply to see what and the sure. ways in which they're they're looking at it. Because it just my first blush is like, no, the the whole fundamental thing is the queerness, and uh, it, it seems like in the Bechdel test, you know, the discussion's not about a man that they're that they're they're sure. not anchored to their 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 heterosexual relationships. Yeah, basically, is the purpose of the Bechdel test, and so the the per, the character happens to be gay, mm -hmm. but that's unimportant. I don't I don't necessarily to think that the, the the narrative of the movie. Yeah, I don't think the test is necessarily saying that like that 
queerness can't be essential to the plot. It's just saying that it can't be the only thing that defines right. the character. I think it's specifically kind of looking at sort of, you know, the way villains can be queer coded and the way right. the way queer characters can be used as a punchline. Sure, yeah. I think that's sort of what it's looking at. Okay. But again, I you're right. There there might be we might need to see this test applied to a lot of different films to kind of see how people yeah, see, see, see how, how it shakes how out. it ends up being used because yeah. I'm yeah, I'm a little curious about that. I, I see why you would say that. Um we're we're sort of talking about uh uh th- depiction and uh, i'm interested in sort of the way this film uses the gaze and sort of subverts it uh mm. in interesting ways it, it's you know a, a queer female gaze and and is not is you know related to the the male gaze that we know very well from cinema but i, I think it's a different thing uh it, you know we talked about this a little bit on um portrait of a lady on fire uh, when we talked about that um last year but uh, I, I don't know how much I, I've thought through this, but I, I just I was kind of interested in the in the way the film uses the gaze to kind of situate you within Megan's headspace as far as, you know, showing you like what she's thinking about when she's in an erotic situation, uh, which, you know, is not particularly erotic for her. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the making out with her boyfriend at the beginning of the movie right, as, right. as we get this montage of her cheered friends. And I, I think the, the cheer friend montage seems to be uh, simply a, a, a transfer of point of view in a pretty standard male gaze mm-hmm. in that scene. I think the place in which we begin to see a different gaze is the love scene yeah. uh, with her which and Which is yeah. a little, maybe yeah. a little yeah. chaste. Uh, well, and chaste for MPAA reasons. Yeah. Sure. Uh, because, of course, this this film's featured in uh, the very famous This Film Is Not Yet Rated Which is sort of how I came to know the movie really? the first time. Yeah. yeah. I, honestly, that was probably my exposure to it, too, for the yeah. first time, was uh, that documentary, because I saw that God, years and years and mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but yeah, so there's some stuff trimmed out uh, to avoid an NC-17 here, because... Uh, Boy, does female pleasure and queer pleasure make the MPAA uncomfortable, and both of those things together mm-hmm. perish the thought. Uh, but you're right. I think that that love scene is, is uh, I don't know. It's, it's definitely pro- not shot like a, a straight it's dude. Not, yeah. 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 It, it's very tender and like sweet. It's just a great scene. It's a yeah. really well shot scene. I think you're right that it is a moment where you can kind of point to. It this doesn't look this... like a lesbian love scene and say Mulholland Drive. Uh, yeah. Or say blue is the warmest color. Yeah. yeah. It was shot by straight white dudes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It, the, the thing becomes different. Mm-hmm. The, the scene becomes different. And uh, I mean, I, I he doesn't take a genius to point that out, uh, but I, I think it's it's worth talking about, sure. sort of highlighting where these scenes, uh, when these scenes are executed by somebody who's actually lived got lived experience, mm-hmm. uh, it makes a difference. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I you know I, I've heard a critique of that love scene be that it is too chaste, and you know I, I don't know that you can hold it against them that much just because the MPAA bullshit. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, I don't are, think they made cuts to that scene though. Oh, did they not? Was it another one? Yeah, it's the the, it the masturbation, masturbation scene? scene. That makes sense. And there's one I think uh, where Graham rubs her hand kind of over Megan's body, mm-hmm. clothed body, uh, and then a line is cut that Megan says about eating. Yeah, Graham. a specific mm. like reference to yeah. oral sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just weird what they get stodgy and yeah. Well, about. I mean, you you think about the exact thing that we had in a in the version of a, uh, a heterosexual relationship. And this movie's probably PG thirteen. That's that's why kind of why I brought it up. You know, is is what we're you know and this is for bringing up yeah. the Kirby, the Kirby I mean, Dicks. Um, change some language. I mean, there's language in here that wouldn't get it PG thirteen. I guess there's some f bombs here. Yeah, right. are yeah. there? Are there? Yeah, there's I, several. I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, well, I mean, just the first thing I think Graham says is yeah. Um, I think you're right. So yeah, I, I you know, but I think other than that, yeah, I mean, you tone down some of the language, then yeah, I think this is easily PG thirteen. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. If it's a boy and a girl. Yeah. And I think even as it is, it would have... Yeah, I think without a few F-bombs, they could have got yeah. it there. I don't know, though. 99, 2000, hard to say. I don't know. Yeah. They might have got still stuck in what they are. Uh, today, I could see it being different, for sure. I mean, in a, in a post-Love Simon world, yeah. um, I think yeah. it's you know a little bit easier to get, get a PG-13 from the MPAA. Yeah. They've, they've definitely changed in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, MPA? In, yeah, are they just the I NBA think it's now? Just now? Oh, is it really? I think that's, so. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's because that's what trailers have. Yeah, that's all I see. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing I know from. Yeah, no, no. Absolutely right. Weird. Motion Picture Association. Yeah. yeah. Motion Picture of America. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's got to be Motion Picture Association. Association right? It's got to be. Assume. Yeah. Just yeah. Do they drop the audiences they out for some reason of the Amer- of America. Is that what it used to stand for? Yeah. Weird. Um. Let me check my notes real quick. Satire is tricky, right? This film makes it look easy. Mm-hmm. That shit's hard. It does the thing I like, um, but you already pointed out that you know it's kind of making fun of everybody. I don't remember which one of you mentioned Dust it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which I had read as well is that you know Babbitt wanted to make a movie that made fun of both gay community but also conservative uh, religious communities as well. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I you know I think a lot of uh, Family Guy and Watts' Doodle. Uh, and just kind of the constant punching down, like in in certain regards, it doesn't always work. Uh, I think South Park does it right because I don't think anything's you know no holds barred. It, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, you're you're coming for you on South Park. Yeah, yeah. Trey Parker, Matt Stone have that yeah. Gen X too cool for anything. Yeah, illness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I think Simpsons does it well. But you know, why, why can't I not think of his name? On, Seth MacFarlane. Yes, thank you. No, you he just has that 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 manner of in his satire. It feels you know. It just gets mean. Yeah, he's got a bone to pick with organized religion in a pretty big yeah. way. Yeah, and, and I that, think that can turn towards it's it's easy to let your distaste for some religious people color your thinking on all religious people. I think. Yeah, and I, and which I think is fair. The way in which this approaches that does work really well, and I think it's really smart in its comedy. I think you're right. Yeah, and I I, I think I appreciate. It. And I think there is just this kind of general, like I mentioned, lightheartedness to a lot of it. It doesn't feel in mean spirit. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Mm-hmm. You know. We're having fun, but in doing so, we can still point to these community issues, these social issues, um, and we don't have to get super tight wound about it. I yeah. think that's uh, makes it much more palatable, I think, to audiences who would not want to watch this initially. Yeah, and it knows... Spoonful of sugar. Yeah, is, I yeah, think, the yeah approach. absolutely. That's such a good way to put it, because it, it knows Kathy Moriarty is a villain, right? Like, it, it doesn't let her off the hook at all. But it also doesn't drag her under the bus either. Like it, it doesn't. It isn't needlessly cruel to yeah. to her. And you I mean, know, she's kind of got the principal from Breakfast Club vibes. Right? Totally, you that's know? a really good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, sort of an ineffectual villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is you know the, again like they deal with real stuff like electroshock treatment is real shit that happens at conversion camps. And they like managed to play with that in a way that is like lighthearted. Yeah, and turn it into <laughs> a masturbation joke. Yeah, which it's, is really funny. Which is funny, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Again, it's just like, it is it is not easy to do satire. And mm-hmm. I, I think uh, this film just makes it look mm-hmm. so... It does so thread the needle quite just, well. Yeah, it just so makes it look so easy easy, easy and effortless. There mm-hmm. we go. Uh, anything else we want to talk about with this with this one? I think uh, we've hit all the high points. I think it's probably time to render a verdict, um, whether we're going to continue to cheer on, um, but I'm a cheerleader, shelf or trash. What say you, Arthur? You would uh, I'd shelf it, I, I think, to Dalton's point. Uh, it, it, there is something kind of singular, singularly unique about this. 
Um, and to your point, you know, not making it a quote unquote social issues slash prestige slash awards bait style movie. Uh, and that just kind of late nine, the, the, the 1999 ness of it, I think, is, is a great factor in its preservation. So I would definitely put it on the shelf. What do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I'm right there with Arthur. I I think this is a essential American filmmaking. I love this movie. Uh, it's it's great, um, and manages to have a character say some real vile stuff like "God is straight" and still like be funny and have have good points and have have a sweet ending. Like uh, I don't know, it just manages to do a lot that's really, really quite powerful. Like it, uh, it uh, it deals with anti queer rhetoric. And sort of the inevitability of that leading to violence in a way that is, I I, can't, I just can't believe a movie is able to do it like without veering off into like tragedy, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they deal with, with that, that scene where they go to Lloyd and Larry's house and throw rocks at the house. Mm-hmm. And like, so they deal with like mm-hmm. violence being the end point of this kind of camp. Uh, that that's, that's the reality of the situation. And, sure. and still they like manage to do it delicately and, and without like ruining the good time that is being had, uh, they but, you know they still take this shit seriously. Yeah, it's mm. it's good filmmaking. Good job, Jamie Babbitt and company. Uh, what what a film, Dustin? What about you? I would also say shelf uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, again, sort of reiterating the things that you guys have said. I think it is kind of unique, and there is a, just a, a great lot of fun to be found in it. But it's also kind of hard to find, and it does um, seem to be one of those independent films that. Yeah, it's available with ads in some places due to, you know, the way some older independent films are. Right, but it's one of those things that I you, I don't really know that it's always going to be streaming uh, and will mm-hmm. always be sort of available in that kind of way. And so it's it's probably worth just having just because access. Uh, same thing with, like, the issue with Watermelon Woman, which is on Paramount, apparently, huh? No kidding. Um, yeah. Uh, Who thunk it? Here's a question. But I'm a cheerleader for the Criterion Collection. It feels like it's <clears throat> it ought to made be. out for. I mean, it's made for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, well, Criterion is made for mm. that sort of preservation. Mm-hmm. Right. But it feels like that could easily be done. I don't know. You know, it's probably a question of where those rights are mm-hmm. with uh, with them. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on that. Um, well, you can have a, a conversation with us and share your thoughts, and Dalton's going to tell you how. I sure will, Dustin. Uh, if you got long-form thoughts for us, you can email the show at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Once again, that's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for all of your long-form feedback. Send us a dang email, baby. We'd love to read one. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at Good Trash Media. That's where we post links to this show, uh, other shows uh, in our orbit, uh, you know, friends of ours, uh, things that we're interested in what other people are doing, uh, cool articles that we find, good movie news. Again, that's at Good Trash Media if you want to get that social media follow. Um, we're pretty much only active on Twitter, so don't go bother looking for us anywhere else. Uh, but there is one final place you can find us, and that's patreon.com forward slash GTM. If you want to help keep the lights on, uh, that's where you can get that information. Uh, no, no sweat. You know, we're, this is a low pressure situation, folks. We are not hurting for it. But uh, if you've got the uh, the extra ducats you want to throw them our way, go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Plenty of info there on what you can get out of the, as far as your end of the arrangement goes. You want to pick a movie for the show? You could do that. You want Arthur to send you a movie? He loves doing it. You want that to happen you to do, you. You do want that, you, that delicious you, you gift from Arthur. You want that gift from Arthur. Yeah, it, it is pretty nice to, to get somebody to pick a movie for you. Come on. Mm-hmm. Takes all the guesswork out. Uh, anyway, it's patreon.com forward slash GTM for more information on that. Arthur, we've 
We've ended September. We've ended September. We've closed out uh, our our little how. I kind of a second how we never covered marathon, uh, but this one was sort of internal. No, no audience voting for this mm-hmm. one, but uh, you know, definitely a cra- crossing off movies that it took us way too long to get to. Uh, my understanding is you've sort of got a similar thing planned for October. Yeah, well, you can wake me up uh, now that September has ended. Uh, next week, um, <laughs> we're going to start start Shocktober eleven or Shock from the Book of Shocks. Uh, and we're pulling an all-nighter so we can talk about some of the biggest horror titles and franchises we haven't gotten to. Shock from the Book of Shock! (laughs) Starting with the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, have we never done that? We've deliberately put it off uh, for a special occasion, and what better special occasion than 10 years of this show and the 11th entry in Shocktober. Yeah, Shock from the Book of Shocks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so silly. There you go. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.